Hello and welcome to this episode of Keeping It Civil, a legal, regulatory and current affairs podcast brought to you by Hassan's international law firm in Gibraltar. In this, the third episode in our series of Women Leaders in Gibraltar, I'm today joined by Gibraltarian and Gibraltar-based entrepreneur, Jelaine Delibiani. Welcome to the program, Jelaine. It's good to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Great. By way of background, Jelaine has over 25 years of project consultancy and management experience and is the founder of her consultancy, GD Associates. In the property context, she has successfully delivered projects such as The Hub and Sylvain Suites and is currently engaged in the delivery of the eco-development at North Gorge. A strong advocate for women entrepreneurs, she is also a passionate healthcare advocate who has been striving for improvements in local healthcare and for the establishment of international hospitals in Gibraltar since her brother lost her life to cancer in 2017. In that context, Jelaine created the initiative of feeding the frontline during the COVID pandemic, providing 123 meals a day to frontline healthcare professionals and, more recently, was instrumental in bringing Vithasanit to Gibraltar. I can never quite know, I never quite know how to pronounce that, which opened in summer last year. Joining me in the studio to explore Jelaine's story is Emma Labrado, a senior associate with our property team here at Sands. Welcome to you too, Emma. Thank you. So my first question, um, Emma did mention to me uh, as we were preparing for this episode that you had originally worked with Microsoft, uh, before returning to Gibraltar. I find that idea fascinating. That must have been it. Must have been a, a very interesting part of your life to be in such a huge corporate context uh, some some years ago. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, when I finished my degree, um, I was actually finished my degree in the middle of of one of the major recessions. I finished in ninety one, so oh, right. there com. were no graduate internship schemes to go to, and. Um, I applied for this job as um, marketing executive for a small Canadian company, um, which I actually got and worked my way through that company. And after a year and a half of being there, was transferred to the main office in Montreal as vice president strategic alliances worldwide, which meant I was responsible for then the computer giants. So IBM, Novell, Microsoft, mm. Apple, who were quite small then, sure. et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so working in Barcelona with the local team, I worked and led an initiative for the launch of Microsoft's small business server, which was a mesh between their product and the product from the Canadian company Icon that I worked for. The campaign was so successful that Microsoft asked for me to be seconded to Seattle to work with the product business unit to roll out the same campaign all over the world. And I was lucky enough not only to be based in Seattle, which was incredible. Mm. It was the beginning of tech. It was the beginning of tech and loads of money. So mm. Microsoft had 22 buildings and a campus that you went and buses around. Wow. And everybody in their offices had a sofa bed, a coffee machine, a microwave. So the culture was very much work 24 hours, compete, compete, compete. If I think now in the context of the world of anti-bullying legislation and breaks and health and wellness and mindfulness, mm. I think all of us were heading for a nervous breakdown yeah. at that time. But it was very interesting because with the product business unit, for example, I was flown to Beijing and I worked with China Telecom to launch Microsoft Business Server in Beijing. I went to Australia on behalf of Microsoft and launched Small Business Server with Telstra there. So it was a really interesting time in my life 
when I came from Little Gibraltar, Glasses sure. Estate, mm-hmm. and then I was in Seattle watching Bill Gates walk around. I mean, he never looked at me and I never spoke to him, but at least I saw him, oh, you know. Sure, sure. So it was an interesting time. And, and Emma, you wanted to ask about... And how from there did you decide to transfer, to move into uh, property development? Or did you feel like that it was something that you always wanted and then managed to bring in those skills that you'd learned and transfer them over? I find it quite curious to see, you know, how that changed. Um, I think this is where I'm going to start showing my age now and that Emma's (laughs) young and I'm well into my 50s. But if I look back... Um, working on small business server and getting the the marketing team together, working with the sales side of it, working with the technical side, that already was leaning towards project management. So eventually, though, I did burn out. As I said before, we were all heading for nervous breakdowns um, and I was tired of the traveling. And a friend of mine suggested that I take a holiday to the Gambia. And um, I did. And when I was there, I met a very interesting lady who got me involved with Catholic Relief Services. So I packed up my job. I resigned from ICON, from my high-flying career, and I went to work for a charity in Africa called Catholic Relief Services. And working with them, and I will come to the fact how I ended up in property development, um, I also worked with the World Bank and worked on microfinance projects, so helping women and villagers you know, run sort of a banking system for the village, etc. Mm. So again, all that was project management. And of course, I was helping build homes and I was helping in the villages, etc. Um, and then there was some personal staff that tied me to the Gambia. Um, so I had my daughter over there. Well, she was born over here, but then went back with her. Mm-hmm. So I was doing all this charity work. And then I got offered a job as project manager for a um, cellular provider called Africel. Uh, because of my project management and my mm-hmm. background in IT, etc. So I became the commercial director of AfriCell um, and helped them launch their infrastructure. So I was married to someone out there at the time um, and the marriage didn't work out and I had this job. So I came back to Gibraltar um, mm-hmm. with two kids under the age of four, which was pretty difficult. Mm. On my own, because my father was quite traditional, so I was getting divorced and he didn't approve of it at all. So very much on my own, although occasionally he would help me out when I was really struggling. And um, I was talking to a a neighbor and he said, look, I hear um, that a property developer is looking for someone to be commercial director and that's your background. So I went to work for that developer, whom I now compete with, (laughs) to do the leases and... um, slowly started showing that I was capable of running projects. And um, that's where GD Associates was born. So I was working as a project manager for other people. And then one day I was sitting with the contractor who's built most of my developers. And we were having a chat and we said, you know what, I'm sick of working for other people. And I'm sick of managing other people's projects. Why don't we pool our resources and try and do a development together? And that's when the hub was born. Right. And that was my first project as a developer. And that was, how, how long ago was the hub? That was 2000, I remember because my brother Mark was dying at the time and oh. I was struggling to get the financing. So the hub was born in 2016 and I think we started building beginning of 2017. Right, okay. So. I think that's a really <clears throat> interesting journey to see how you've worked in so many different industries. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think importantly, 
despite working in different industries, you've been so successful in every step of the way, you know? So I think for me, it's very interesting to know um, what advice or what key things, because you always hear, you know, what advice would you give someone? And obviously there's, you know, the hard work, the commitment, the dedication. I mean, I don't think anyone is ever successful without anyone, any dedication or, and commitment, no? But what are the, so what are, I mean, the lessons that you've learned along the way that maybe you didn't quite expect or that you've had to learn on your own that you would, advice that you would give someone? Um I don't think I would ever advise anybody because your journey is so, you know, subjective. It's about you and what works for you. But what has worked for me, um, a long time ago, I met this lady psychologist at a conference and um, we were talking about what it is to be a woman in business. And bear in mind, this was 30 years ago when there were less women in business. And thankfully there are now. But she told me one thing which stuck in my brain and, and which I actually repeat to my own daughter, which is do not go to work to be liked, mm. go to work to be respected. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I've lived my life by. If I can sleep at night, then I will sit with that decision. And if that decision will keep me up, mm. I will not follow that decision. And if you don't like me, it's not that I don't care because I'm not a sociopath. Yeah. But as long as I've been fair to you and fair to my project and the people that invest with me, then that's good enough for me. You know, respect is everything. And sometimes because we want to, especially as women, I think, we are natural pleasers, you know, we're natural mm-hmm. nurturers. We care a lot about being light and about being a woman, but in a man's world. So we, we strive too much to please. And when you do that, you put control outside yourself. Mm-hmm. So you've got to pull yourself in, at least this is what worked for me, and say, you know, why did I make that decision? Why did I make that comment? And if it's because of the right reasons, then I'm sticking by it. Mm. And if it's not, apologize. Mm. You know? Yeah, and it, it is a theme of the conversations we've been having in the, the first few episodes of this series that we've that we've been producing. And that is that, uh, of course, you know, uh, over, over the years, there have been there have been many changes uh, that have happened on an institutional level, on a on a cultural level as well. Uh, to to accommodate those specific challenges relating to, uh, to to women leaders and 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 women in all workplaces, uh, but it's certainly a theme that I've seen developing, which is that there is an ele- there is an element of a required assertion of your position in or or your 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 the value that you bring and and the and the correctness of your of your presence in in that in that moment in in that place and and I think it's an important theme that's developing mm-hmm. from this conversation which which sets out that yes absolutely accommodations have been important as we have progressed culturally along along the agenda and there is still work to be done mm-hmm. but that a lot of the work that has to be done that can be done as well is is by women themselves in the, in the workplace to make that assertion to to drive that change as much as it should be happening on its own so yes and so you wanted to say yeah I agree with you exactly, you know, 100%, because this lady that I was talking about, talking to, she was saying, women try to be men and women in the job. Mm. You know, don't try and bring what you identify as male qualities. So assert yourself the way a man would. Assert yourself as you as a person would. Don't lose your identity, you know, in what's acceptable. Mm. I think I was telling Emma when we first talked about doing this that, in my industry still to this day, although less because I've been around it longer, if one of the guys I work with asserts himself, well, then he, you know, he's a strong guy and he knows what he's doing. And if I assert myself, 
then obviously I'm hysterical or I'm having a hormonal day. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It happens to me less, but that's what happens, that we try and assert ourselves as men, but mm. we're not. Mm. So we have to assert ourselves in terms of what works for me, what do I believe in, what do I want out of this meeting? And I don't really care if you perceive me to be strong, weak, emotional or hysterical. This is what the project needs or this is what my life needs or my job needs. That's it. And you know. I, I found that as well in my career that I've, you know, I've had to speak up a lot more than I naturally would, you know, mm. um, because I find in general uh, men are just naturally they'll speak up or they'll ask more or they'll mm. be maybe more demanding um, and being confident within myself and with my work as I am. But I still wouldn't say, well, I, I demand this or I expect this or, or this has to be done. I wouldn't speak out as much. And it's something that I've learned, you know, mm. throughout my journey that I've had to learn. But it's not, like you said, it's maybe not natural for us. Um, it's not. To, yeah. And, and in a male-dominated industry, you have to. You have to sort of push yourself um, or push yourself in a way that is within your own character. You have to you have to learn that within yourself, I think. I mean, and the property industry in Gibraltar, of course, is 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 quite is a very dynamic place. Uh, it's a, it, it's a, it's a market that is, I mean, that's it's one of the most important markets, of course, in, in in Gibraltar, absolutely. And from your experience in that market, in in that workplace, I mean, more generally as an industry in Gibraltar, how do you see? And and this is something that Emma and I were talking about, and something that we thought was was worth exploring. Uh, how do you, What's your perception of the property market as it is today in the context of, you know, the, the current uh, challenges, Brexit not yet done, uh, the global the global pressures on cost of living and, and supply chain crises, however many that may be. What, what's your view in terms of how we're doing and, and what the prospects are for the immediate future? Um, I obviously think that the market will survive the current uh, challenges that it's facing. I mean, the world is on its knees post-COVID, mm. Brexit, Ukraine, all the horrible things. I mean, I'm fond of saying lately there's a lot of ugly out there. But luckily in Gibraltar, there's also a lot of, of great stuff. And one is that we are a small community of, I think, very strong, very focused, nimble people. I mean, we've always been a frontier town, so that mm. makes you nimble and, and you know, and traders, etc. So if I didn't believe there was a future in the property market, I wouldn't be launching another development this summer. Mm. But if you ask me about my view on the market in Gibraltar, I think that we are failing the community because we are not providing mid-range housing. When I say mid-range, I don't mean affordable housing because that is mm. the role the government takes. Mm. But currently, if you look at a resale home in Montague Gardens, mm. it's about four and a half, five thousand per square meter. Mm -hmm. And if you look at what's available in the market, the next step up is seven, eight and nine. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Now, so that means we have a stagnant market. Mm. So we have to get stuff out at the five, five and a half mm. so that that middle bit will move that will allow those who started in the affordable housing yeah. to move up so we have a fluid housing market. Mm. And I, th I think right now we don't. I'm hoping with what's coming in summer that I can do my bit by my people, which is kind, kind of what drives me, mm. to help that market move along. So yeah. hopefully no, by July. See, oh, great. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a useful illustration of, of what I think many of us perceive, but have not necessarily articulated as you have today. I think you're absolutely right. So, I mean, there are many on the property ladder 
or actually who probably don't even consider themselves on the ladder because they are where they are and they can't see what the next step up looks like because the jump is is so significant. And that's terrible. Mm. So, and you know, this is our community. I don't subscribe to some of the things up because we're Gibraltarians, Gibraltarians. No, no, Mm. we have to work for stuff. We have to be slightly less entitled. Mm -hmm. Uh But we still have to work with governments who in the end we buy land from Mm. to produce that mid-range product Mm. because without it, we don't have a sustainable market from an environmental point of view. If everything we do mm-hmm. is build, 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 without building to a segment of the market, mm. then eventually you'll have too much supply in the high end, too much supply in the low end because we want to get votes, and nothing in the middle. And that doesn't work. Mm. And that creates resentment in the community, and I feel it in the people. And you mentioned sustainability, of course. Um, and, and one of the projects that you're involved in is the North Gorge Eco Development could you maybe talk to us a little bit about what it is that makes it an eco-development and what you see in the context of sustainability? Um, Emma asked me which was my favourite project, and without a doubt. I would have said the hub because of the amount of young people who came in from La Linea to move into the hub. Mm-hmm. And there was 143 studios, and for the first time in Gibraltar, a bank lent for small studios. And yes. I don't know if you're aware of that, but that was a deal that we came up with the GIB, it's the first time that anybody lent for studios. Oh, I see. I they wasn't gave aware mortgages. Of that. Right. that was the initiative I was really proud of. But now mm-hmm. I love the North Gorge. <laughs> Why? Because when we were given the tender, we had permission for 69 homes. Mm-hmm. And of our own volition, we scaled that back because it's such a beautiful green belt in Gibraltar. Mm. And from the sustainable point of view, what we've done is we have um, basically flooring outside the homes, which is basically collects water so it permeates down into tanks that will actually refurbish the plants, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. We've got solar. We've got new level type of windows. Um, I mean, basically, we've done it all. We've planted like four trees for every one that we took out, and we only took 20 odd out. Mm-hmm. And if you come up to the North Gorge, you'll see there's hundreds of trees. So, yep. you know, we've really that's, – that's why we won the first sustainability prize in Gibraltar for development because we've done a lot to – nurture the nature there yeah it's true if if you go to the site um you can see that they've sort of worked around how the original site was um and i think it's going to be a fantastic pro- i then, think it's also needed something like that was really needed in gibraltar because there's so much concrete everywhere yeah um and the number of families you know this is i have a lot of friends i have the same friends that i had from when i was 14 yeah, mm. we're called sensational six. We've been friends for <laughs> 40 years. And we always talk about this housing for the rich. Mm. But look, if there wasn't demand for all this, nobody would build it. Yeah. So clearly there's a demand. And we've already established that, that you've got to have a middle section. But it is also true that we have Gibraltarians who've gone up the ladder, yes. who started like me in Glasses Estate or Laguna or wherever, mm. yeah, who aren't part of the big name families that we know and love in Gibraltar, mm. who are now moving into the North Gorge because they've made sensible investments. Mm. So it's not true that a lot of the people in the North Gorge, they're local families, they're yeah. lawyers, they're bankers, they're, you know, people who work for government who just made sensible off-plan investments. Mm. And I think if you look back, say... 20 years, um, a lot of people had uh, an apartment in Gibraltar and then their big property was in Spain 
But if you look now, a lot of people are investing as their main home mm. in Gibraltar and they're enjoying living in a nicer house with uh, swimming pools and gym and, you know, these facilities. So all of these developments like North Gorge, mm. I think they're catering for people, for our own Gibraltarian who want to invest in their own lifestyles, in their own homes and in their quality of life. And I'll expect that there are some environmental factors and developments in Gibraltar that have happened over the last few years that have probably driven demand in that in that context, not least uh, not least Brexit and the uncertainties around that and whether coming and going to Spain to your second home where you in inverted commas, live your life uh, outside Gibraltar, it became, becomes more of a question mark than it ever was. And I think certainly what happened during the pandemic is that when we were all locked down, there was a much stronger, urgent focus on having somewhere in your own home where you could be outside, yes. not cooped up. Um, it was one. It was obviously a, a big issue uh, in the UK, as it less yes. so here, perhaps, because we were locked down for far less than they were. And so I think there have been many environmental factors that have certainly driven that. There's also the issue of the Spanish the, the tax treaty as well and the treatment of people across the border. So I, it, it's absolutely uh, to be expected that we've seen that development in the market and that's probably going to continue because, of course, the uncertainty in relation to Brexit remains. It's not yet resolved and we don't know when that will be. Uh, but it, it, it's it's certainly exciting that in, in the local market we see this kind of uh, project coming through uh, and, you know, providing these options to local families as well. Jelaine, you've shared so much and you've already, you've had so much experience and done so much that I kind of feel bad for asking this question as if it's, you know, putting more pressure on you. But I'm sure you have something in the pipeline. Um, can I ask what's next for Jelaine Delipiani? I think what's next for me is if my work allows and, and after I finish this project, that I've said at launch in July, which is, I believe, what we need for the local community, for all my friends who nag me that they can't afford to move out of their affordable homes. I would like to establish some form of foundation to do the work that I do, but with more people, because there are times where I'm either crying my eyes out for the people that I'm helping, or I simply just don't have the time because I have my own, my own family and my own work crusades. But I also want to focus people's minds, and I will be hopefully raising money this year for an environmental independent study to be run by a university in Germany on pollution locally. I mean, that, that, that sounds really very, very interesting. But I mean, one thing, and I think probably to, to conclude the conversation on this point, is that we, we've talked about your career, we've talked about your advocacy. Um, what we've not talked about uh, is, is the family connection for you and, and how you've managed to incorporate such a such a busy life such a busy successful life in in property and 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 in addition to in addition to which you've done the health advocacy which of course is, is very wearing from a personal perspective as well um i'd like to hear what it what you would what you would say in relation to finding that balance and, and the importance of that balance with family and friends because you've already alluded to it earlier in in the conversation about your 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 your, your group of friends that you know in all your life I'd like to hear what you have to say about achieving that balance and, and the importance of it to you. My kids are the most important thing in my life um, and they have driven everything that I have done. But they have also kept me grounded. Um, I've come from sites where, 
you know, not the abuse because I'm a strong personality and nobody abuses me. But what it's been a tough day mm. where I've had to assert myself in a way that we talked about with Emma before is not natural to me as, as, as a female, and mm. my feminine side. And then I've seen my kids and that has grounded me and that has made me realize that it's all worth it, all the pain, all the struggle, all the juggling. And how did I do it? Well, let's see. When I first moved to Jeb and my marriage had sort of broken down and I told you my father didn't believe in divorce, I remember a bank offered me a job and when I worked out my childcare, it came to the same sort of um, mm. incomings and outgoings. So I had to turn the job down because I had no family support, which some are so lucky to have. In yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was so blessed to mm. have this community. Yeah. But then the next job allowed me to do that, maybe have a hundred pounds to be able to put in my pockets. So the next one worked and then the next one worked. But I remember that I used to work all day um, and my kids were in the nursery. And then at three o'clock, I would pick them up in the middle of my day work, stay with them till six o'clock, then put them to bed and then go back to whatever construction site I was working until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So I would pay for a nanny between 6 p.m. and 11 p.m., you know, so just so that I could be there for my kids to bath them and do all that important stuff mm -hmm. and then go back to work when they were sleeping so they wouldn't miss me. But now I would say to any woman that is a young woman developing a family, don't do that so much don't mm. break yourself in a hundred pieces mm. because in the end as you get older you physically feel the drain of juggling all that you don't have to be perfect you don't have to be a perfect mother you don't have to be there for for bedtime five days a week like i had put this pressure on myself mm. because if you have a relationship with your kids and they start understanding that you are out in your world trying to get on mm. then they will understand that When you're with them, you're giving them the best of you. Whereas I tried to give them the best of me spread out every day in amounts mm. of stress and that didn't work. Mm. Be kind to yourself. You that, know? That, that, I mean, that is another theme as well. I mean, we've touched mm. upon this in, in, other, in other discussions, actually. Chloe also mentioned it, I remember, very early on. And, and it struck me that it was this idea of trying to live up to this perfect ideal, mm -hmm. this ideal of a perfect lawyer and a perfect mother and a... There and, it, no and, and there is no such thing, of course. And 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 there's a there's I think a very handy phrase, which is you know you shouldn't let perfect let the let let perfect be the enemy of done right of get of getting it done. So I think it's very important to understand what Jelaine has said about if you so long as you have that relationship with your children, if you one evening won't be there for bedtime and have to go to work, they will kind of understand that. That's I find a different perspective, um, and a very interesting one um, that isn't spoken about so much, I think. Yeah, you, know, you can't do it all. Mm. But what you can do is say, I can give them the best of me for two days a week, one day a week. Maybe because sometimes life is hard. Mm, you know, I worked three jobs when I was a single mum, you mm. know. And then the other thing that's really important to me is the partner that I have, you know, the partner that I have who supports me, who... Mm tells me to go out into the world and isn't saying to me, but you're not home, but you're not doing this, but you should do this as a woman. Mm. You know, I'm very lucky that mm. in my partnership, I don't have that. Mm -hmm. You know, I wish she'd 
do a lot more around the house, but he does do enough. (laughs) And on that note, it might be my job or responsibility to move it to to, to a close. Um, Jelaine, it's been a pleasure having you and having this discussion about your life, your journey and and your advocacy. I am very grateful for you to, for spending the, to you for spending the time here with us today. So thank you very much. Emma, it's been great to have you co-hosting. To our listeners, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. If you liked the podcast, please do do like it on on Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And by all means, share it with friends and family. Uh, If you have any feedback, we're very happy to hear back from you. Um, And we look forward to seeing you at the next one. Thank you very much. Goodbye.